Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. your Bibles this evening, I'll encourage you to turn to Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 7. This is a message that I had been working on, well, I started working on months months ago, and then started working on some other things, and the pastor texted me about probably 9.30, 10 o'clock last night, and asked me if I would fill in for him today. So I went to look through my notes and realized I hadn't written any of them down. They were all in my phone. So I tried to, we, you know, I had to work today, and Silas had an appointment today, so while I was at work on downtime, I tried to be diligent to, to study what I could study. Um, but we'll be in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7. We'll begin reading verse number 7. It says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. I want you to pay close attention to verse 11. This is where we'll take our, our text and our title. He says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Real quickly, I forgot to start my timer. Let me start that real quick. You'll be thankful later. Um, and if you see me looking at my phone, I'm just checking my notes, okay? But we see here that... that if you read earlier on in, the, in this chapter, we see that Satan is revealed. It says that there was a dragon. We know that that's talking about Satan. We know that it says that there is a woman. We you know that's believed that that is a representation of the church. And we know that in the earlier te- in the earlier chapters or the earlier verses of this chapter, we see that Satan is attacking the church. We see that that is still a theme today. Satan is still attacking the church. That is his goal. That is his desire. He wants to root out the church. He wants to destroy the church. But we see, even in just these verses that we read here, that after all the things that he's tried to do in these verses, all the stops that he's pulled out, he falls short. He fails. It says, and they overcame him. They won. They beat him. And that's something that we need to to do this evening, is to overcome the devil. I believe as we read these, I want to start on verse 7 and show you some thoughts that I've seen as I studied. And then we'll get to verse 11. I believe that verse 11 holds three major things that we need to do to overcome the devil. And so for a little while this evening, I want to preach you a message that I've titled, Overcoming the Devil. Let's pray and we'll get into the message. Dear Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you, dear Lord, for a Bible that you've given us a church to, to be a part of. I pray you bless this message, dear Lord. I know that I am nothing, dear Lord. I know that I wish that I could have put more time into the study, but I pray, dear Lord, that you would recall things to my mind. I pray you would bless this message, dear Lord, that it would be a help, that it would be an encouragement, that it would be a blessing to these people. I pray, dear Lord, that this wouldn't be focused on, on getting amens or pats on the back, dear Lord, but I would preach the Bible. 
I thank you, Lord, for you do. I pray you bless this service. If there's anyone here lost tonight, that they would be saved before they leave. I pray there's anyone that's not where they need to be with you, they get right before they leave. Lord, I pray you bless this service. I pray to help us have a good time in the Lord. Thank you for what, how well we've already been fellowshipping and, and worshiping you already. Please bless this service. Touch every aspect of it. Help it to be only that which is pleasing to you. And we'll thank you and praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' most wonderful, precious name we pray. Amen. So we see that this is a war going on. We see that Satan is waging war against the church. And then we get down to verse 7 and we see that Michael the angel and his angels intervene. This is a war against who? A war against Satan, right? Is it not what it says? It says that Michael and his angels are fighting against Satan, the dragon. We know that to be Satan and his angels. This is a war against Satan. This is a war that we've seen started, the pastor showed us in, in Genesis chapter 3, right. Sunday night. Yeah. This is, a, this is a war that's going on since man was created. This is a war that's been going on throughout the 66 books of the Bible. This is a war that we see today. And this is a war that I believe that will continue on until God comes to take us home. Amen. But this is a war against the devil. We see that he's, they're waging war against the devil. This is the same war that you and I face every day of our lives. I want you to be mindful of the wording that I chose. I said this is, a, this is a war that we face every day. I did not say this is a war that we fight every day. You can be in the middle of a war zone. You can be affected by a war. You can be a casualty of war. But that doesn't make you a warrior. That doesn't make you a soldier. What makes you a soldier and warrior is when you pick your side and you decide that you're going to fight. I want to ask us this is how diligent are we to fight? Have we been fighting in this war or have we just been present in this war. I believe that, that this war against the devil, we see the devil is, is making ground and he's shoving so many things in the world around us. But what are we doing to fight those things? I believe that too often Christians have not been fighting in this war. They've just been present for it. I believe that if Christians were fighting and standing up for some things that they should have been, that we would see, we, you know, we heard Brother Cody's request tonight for the school. Just from the things I see on the internet, it's terrible. I can't imagine actually being there. I've seen videos of teachers, kindergarten, elementary school teachers, that are talking about how they purposely try to confuse the children on their sexual identity or sexual whatever it would be. Things that, that no people need push on them, but children that age shouldn't even know exist. I believe that if Christians would have stood up, we, we see that they, the libraries are bringing men in that, that aren't smart enough to know they're men or just like to dress up like women and read them stories. I believe if we were fighting this war the way that we ought to, that there should have been enough Christians that would have stand up and said, that's not happening in our school. That's not happening in our county. That's not happening in our town. That's not happening in our state. But too many of us have not been diligent to fight in this war. We've just been present for it. This is a war against the devil. This is a war that we already agreed is not going anywhere. Burying our heads in the sand and ignoring it is not going to do anything. What is going to happen is that we're going to put it off and give and leave it for our children. And leave them in a worse place than we were. And while we do so, we give the, the enemy a decade and a half, two decades to gain ground while our children age up to be able to do anything. And that is if they even decide to fight. Maybe they'll watch us sit by and allow Satan to do everything that he's doing and choose that they have no interest in fighting either. I want you to notice, secondly, in verse 8, he says, they said that the, the Satan was fighting with them and he prevailed not. I'll put it really simply to you. He lost. <laughs> we see that Satan is a loser. I believe if you read throughout the Bible, you'll see many occasions where Satan is a loser. I see if you read through the Bible, you'll see too many occasions that he was the victor. Because too many Christians decided not to fight in this war the way they should have. 
But it says he prevailed not, he lost. We see that Satan is a loser. I will submit to you this evening that Satan is not only a loser, he's a bully. I believe you read through the Bible, you see textbook bully behavior. We saw it, Pastor read it to us Sunday in Genesis chapter 3. He tried to intimidate Eve, he tried to manipulate her, he did things that bullies do. We see in Matthew chapter 4, when he tempts Jesus, he does the same thing. He tries to manipulate him, he tries to peer pressure, he tries to, to bully him in to doing what he wants him to do. I believe that in this text, we see almost textbook bully behavior. We see that he was picking on the church. He was trying to root out the church. He was trying to destroy the church. And he was perfectly content doing so. He's picking on someone smaller than him. But we see that Michael shows up, the angel of the Lord, and he decides that, that he's no longer going to intervene in what the devil is trying to do. Right. And we see that he, he picks on someone his own size, and he loses. Any of us that have younger siblings or grew up with siblings can remember when the younger siblings, either kids in the neighborhood or other family members, would want to pick on them growing up. But when the older siblings showed up, they weren't interested in picking on them anymore. I believe that's exactly what we see happening here. He's, he's picking on the church, and then Michael shows up, and he's not, he's not equipped to handle someone his own size. But I want this to be an encouragement to you to think about the fact that not only one day is he going to have to fight someone that's his own size, but someone that is infinitely bigger than he is. Right. And he's, if he couldn't beat Michael, I can guarantee you he can't beat God. Right. And there's going to be a day where he tries to fight God and he loses, and he loses for the last time. Yep. And we'll never have to worry about him again. I want you to see next in verse 8, he says, Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. As I studied this and I read this, in the verse 7 that we read first, they mentioned heaven. It says, and there was a war in heaven. The, the commentator said that they believe this word heaven could have meant the atmosphere or the sky or heaven. I believe that it meant heaven. I believe you look in verse 8, it says their place was not found anymore. What would be the significance of God telling us that Satan didn't have a place in the sky or the atmosphere? I firmly believe that he's saying that Satan had no place in heaven. And I believe this is just as good as any place to ask you this question. Do you know that there's a place found in heaven for you? If you were to die tonight, either before we leave the service or on the way home, do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you have a place in heaven? If not, this is a wonderful day and a wonderful place to get it settled. I encourage you to get a hold of someone that can help you out. Look at verse number 9. He said, And the great dragon was cast out. Do you notice anything weird about the words used in that phrase we just read? As I read that, I think that that's odd. We know that John is writing this, but we know that God inspired John to write this. Why would God call Satan great? He said the great dragon. And in the Greek, this word can mean mighty or big. I don't believe that God wrote that he is great because that means that he's a great adversary to him or that he's scared of him or he possesses any great threat to God. I believe that God put this here so we could know that compared to us, He is a great adversary. I believe He put this here so that we would take Him seriously, that we would quit just turning our head to everything He's doing. We would know that there is great danger in Satan's plans for our life. He says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. We see here, we see that it was said, it was, it was said twice. Just in that one verse. We see in verse number 10 it says not only was he cast out, but he was cast down. Right. I want to encourage you to, to think about this thought this evening, that there's coming a day that not only will he be cast out, not only will he be cast down, but he will be cast in to a lake of fire. He'll be cast into hell where he'll spend the rest of eternity. We won't have to worry about him anymore. That's right. 
the same devil that wants your home, that wants your family, that wants your church, that wants your pastor, that wants your Bible. Right. Yep. There's going to be a day where he takes his place in hell. You don't have to worry about him anymore. You're right. We see it says he was cast out. I want you to notice that in this verse it compares him to a dragon. In this verse it compares him to a serpent, a snake. We know that Peter compares him to a lion. I believe, and I will use this word, but not in the sense that we'll think of, I believe that those, that Satan being compared to those demand respect. Not respect that we think that he's great or wonderful, we worship him, but respect that we know that he holds great danger. Right. If you were to walk out in your garden and a snake crawled up to you, I know some people like snakes, but I know a lot more people that hate snakes. Right. <laughs> I know there's a lot of people who grab the first sharp object they can find and lop its head off. I know some people can tell you, oh, if these certain colors touch, then the snake isn't venomous. If they touch, then they're venomous. If you look at the shape of their head, they're venomous. I have no interest in getting that close. <laughs> but that's how we should be with Satan. We know that he's dangerous. We know that he can harm us. And so just like a snake, we would give a snake its distance. We don't want anything to do with a snake because we know that it holds the potential to harm us. That's exactly how we should be with Satan. Just like I said, I have no, I have no interest in getting that close. That's how we should be with Satan. We shouldn't see how close we can get before we see what he wants to do, before we see what harm he wants to involve in our lives. We see just like as if it was a dragon or a lion. If you walked out in your backyard and you saw a dragon or a lion, you'd probably have many questions. But I guarantee you that you get back in the house pretty quickly. <laughs> Why? Because these are, these are creatures that have a very good possibility of harming you, that have a very good possibility of wanting to harm you. And so because we know the danger that they possess and the power that they possess, we stay away from them. But why not? Why don't we do that with Satan? We know the power that he possesses. We know the plans that he has for us, the thoughts he has for us, that he says a thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Right. We, wouldn't, we wouldn't go up to a lion or a dragon or a snake and poke it with a stick and just wait for it to decide to jump at us. But we do that with Satan. We, we like to see how close we can get to Satan and, and how involved in the things that he's putting into this world we can get involved in and just see how far we can go without getting hurt. Look at verse number 10. It says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. We see here it says that, that there comes salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God. We see that, that God has proved Himself to be a great God. We see that Jesus has proved Himself to be a sufficient Savior. We see that where else does salvation come from? Only Jesus Christ. And you see it says His power. I believe that one day God's going to unleash just a small portion of His power. That's all we'll need. And He'll put Satan away and He'll be victorious over it. But I want you to really notice, this is what really stuck out to me. Is the bottom part of this verse. It says, For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Listen to this part. Which accused them before our God day and night. We know if we read the book of Job, we see where, God, where Satan comes before God. And he tells him his plan. And God says, Have you tried my servant Job? But I wanted you to think about this for a minute. Is that this is Satan. He hates God. He hates you because he loves God. Because you love God. He hates anything that God is pleased with. I mean, I don't believe that we have an accurate word to describe how much he hates God. But what does this say about how he feels about you, that he is willing to stand before God? He hates that much to accuse you. He says that he accuses him day and night. 
Satan is, there's no time. He's not willing to do it. He's not clocking out. He's not taking breaks. He's not going home. He's working overtime. We see this effort. He's coming before constantly whenever he has anything. And I thought about this. How much better would our lives be, our marriages, our relationship with Jesus Christ, our family, our churches, if we put the same effort into growing those things as he is to tear them down? But he says he comes before him day and night. There's not a time that he's not willing. And as I read this, I'll share my thoughts with you, and I'm sure that you'll think they're, they're funny. I, I read this, and this is how I imagine. I know they're not accurate to, what, to how God would really be. But I read this, and I imagine that one night, God is laying in bed, and he's sleeping, and he hears a knock on the door. So he puts on his robe, and he puts on his house slippers, and he goes to the door, and he flicks on the light, and there's Satan standing at the door. And he opens the door, and he says, what do you want? And he goes, you hear about so-and-so? I'll, I'll use myself as an example. He said, you hear about him, that wicked, dirty, rotten sinner? I, I have some accusations to bring before you. And so God, just to, just to mess with Satan, he says, all right, come on in. And he sits across the coffee table from him, and he goes up to his bookshelf, and he pulls out this big book. And he thuds it down on the coffee table. And he, and he gets to my name. And just like that old song says, he says, what sins are you talking about? He says, I can't see anything here. And, and Satan hangs his head, and he doesn't know what to say. And then and just, just to mess with him a little bit, God says, wait a second. It looks like there was something here. But I can't see it. It's been smeared through by the blood. Amen. Amen. And, and I imagine that after he hears that, he, he, God sends him out into the night with his tail tucked between his legs because him and God both know the power of the blood. Amen. And we get down to verse 11. This is our text verse. We see what Satan was doing. We see what he was trying. And the very first phrase of verse 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood. They overcame him. They beat him. They were victorious over Satan. I want to encourage you this evening that you and I cannot overcome him by ourselves. But this is, this is a wonderful thought is that we don't need to. Jesus Christ already defeated him on Calvary. And all you and I have to do is ride his coattails to victory. But he says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. I think our first point, number one, is that you need to have received the blood of the Lamb. In order to overcome Satan, you must receive the blood of the Lamb. What does that mean? Well, I believe very simply it means that you must be saved. We see that, that it's talking about the, the brethren in the, in the, of heaven and the blood of the Lamb. I believe those two go together and tell us that they were saved. You need to be saved. We have an enemy. We have Satan that wants to stop. He wants you to go to hell. He wants your family to go to hell. He wants your family members to go to hell, your children, your co-workers, your church members, anyone that you come into contact with. He wants them to go to hell. And I believe that's because he knows that one day there's a very real place called hell that he will have to endure for the rest of eternity. And I believe that when it comes to him, the statement, misery loves company, can never be truer. And he is scared to death that you're going you're gonna to be told about the blood of the Lamb. You're going to be told about Jesus Christ, and you're going to be saved. And you won't, have to, you won't be able to miss out on what he won't be able to miss out on. I believe that, that this is one of the reasons why he doesn't attack. We see that he's been attacking the church. This is one of the reasons I believe that we see churches like ours closing. Good Bible-believing churches, but the modern-day churches that have smoke and mirrors and a band show and don't read from the Bible. Why are they doing so well? Because Satan is not concerned about them. They're not a threat to him. 
but I believe that, and I believe it's appropriate that this is number one on the list because I believe the most important thing you can possess as a Christian is your salvation. I believe that there needs to be a time in all of our lives where we realize that Jesus Christ came to earth and lived 33 and a half years perfectly. He was God Almighty in the flesh. He was just as much God as He was man. And He allowed them, He allowed them to, bru to beat Him and bruise Him and scourge Him and rip out His beard and to place a th crown of thorns on His head and to strip Him naked and to haul Him to the top of a mountain called Calvary. And He allowed them to pin Him to a cross and He allowed His blood, the precious blood of the Lamb, to flow down that cross and cover your my sin. Have you received the blood of the Lamb? I know we already said earlier, was, is there a place found in heaven for you? But I believe that this is the same thing. Have you been saved? Have you received the blood of the Lamb? The blood of the Lamb that, that removes the sins of the world. Satan wants you to go to hell. And he wants that for everyone that he can lead away from it. But if you receive the blood of the Lamb, he can't have your soul. Jesus already bought it. It's paid for. It's his. But I will remind you this evening that just because He can't have your soul doesn't mean He won't come for your life. I believe that when you're saved and you're living for God, that, that puts a target on your back and He wants your life just, just as much as anything else. I believe the same probably has a trophy room and, and He wants your head if you're doing something good for God. If you're saved, He knows that He can't drag you to hell with Him, but He knows that He can mess up your life and make you unfruitful in anything that God has planned for you. Have you received the blood of the Lamb? If you want to overcome Satan, I believe you first need to become God's child. You need to be saved. You need to be bought and washed into the blood of Jesus Christ, into the family of God. Number two, it says, and by the word of their testimony. I believe, number two, you need a testimony that remains. I believe that also appropriate placement in our list here is because the second most important thing you can possess is your testimony as a Christian. I believe your testimony... Well, I believe we've seen that it says that he accuses, he accuses us before God. I believe he's comfortable enough to come before God and to, and to accuse us before God. Why well, do we believe he wouldn't be comfortable enough accusing us before men? How, he would whisper things in people's ears, especially about preachers and pastors and people that are trying to lead. And he wants nothing more but to taint their testimony, to challenge their character, to challenge their intents. We see that that I believe, number one, your testimony gives everyone their idea of who you are as a Christian. <laughs> I believe your coworkers will watch you and they'll say, this is what he says and this is what he does, and they do not match. He's a hypocrite. And if this is how he behaves, I don't want anything to do with Christians. I believe that it's especially damaging for us that have grown up in church from a young age. They say, if they've been in church for years and years and this is how they are, apparently it's done nothing for them, what hope is there for me? But I believe, secondly, it gives everyone their idea of who Christians are as a whole. We've all heard it. We've heard people talk about how that they know so-and-so who was a Christian, and they did this, and they were just a hypocrite, and that they don't want anything to do church. I hear it all the time. There's a guy at work that mentions about how he used to go to church, and so-and-so that he knew did something. Now he has no interest in being a Christian. I believe people will see you, and they'll lump you in with every Christian. Is your testimony strengthening Christians or, or hurting it? I believe that your Christian will give your testimony will give everyone your, their idea of your church. They say this is where he goes to church. He's a product of this church. He must not be doing very much. I believe it will give everyone their idea of your pastor. 
They'll say this is their pastor. They're sitting underneath him. They're listening to him. He's supposed to be leading them. And this is their life. He must not be preaching very much of the word. I believe that your testimony, most importantly, gives everyone their idea of God. They say, this is him, and he's telling me that God's made this change in his life, and he's done so much for him, but he looks just like me in his actions. Must not be a very powerful God if that's the change that he made. What is your testimony saying about yourself as a Christian, your church, your church family, others as a Christian? What is it saying about God? I believe our testimony, like we said, number one, we must receive the blood of the Lamb. Satan doesn't want us to be saved. He doesn't want other people to be saved. But I believe that our testimony is vital because it can lead others to be saved. Your soul is the only soul that you can 100% decide if you get saved or not. You can witness to other people. You can bring them to church. But in the end, they have to make that decision. But is your testimony good enough that it would cause them to come to church? Is your testimony good enough that they would look at your life and say, something in my life must be missing? I want the kind of life that he has. I believe especially as parents... Our testimony needs to be strong. And I know that I, I, almost, I almost always preach on this to some extent. And you may wonder why I touch on this all the time, but it's because it's very dear to my heart. I believe that, that there's so many things, like, pre, like Preacher Lewis said, if we could allow the chaplains into the schools, they probably wouldn't be in the prisons. I believe that, that our children need to be taught and shown how to live from a young age and what better place than at home. I, I, I have this topic on my heart very heavily as I now have a son who I watched die. And, I, and had died three times after that. And they were able to bring him back and here he is. And they told us that he'd be deaf and blind and unable to do anything. And I believe I know a lot better Christians than I that have children that still have issues. I don't believe God did it because of me. I believe that God did it because he has big plans for him. And I don't want him to grow up and look back and say, I watched my daddy, and I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to do anything. I don't want my life to be something that turns him away from what God has for him. Parents, your testimony needs to be good. It needs to remain intact. I believe that if you never get the chance to win anybody to, to the Lord, you should at least be able to lead your children to the Lord. You should at least be able to lead your family. We look, at, we look back at, at Noah. He didn't take a, a city with him. He didn't take ten people. He took his family. Right. Will your testimony be enough to lead your children to the Lord? And I know that sometimes there's nothing you can do. And sometimes children go off and they do their own thing because that's what they do. But I, I don't want it to be. I don't want there to be any excuse or any way that they could blame me and say, He did that because you weren't a good enough example. Does your testimony remain intact? We see that it says the word of their testimony. That would imply that something is being said. I believe that as Christians we should be diligent and even excited to share our testimony. To testify of the truth of what God has done for us. And I don't, mean, I don't think that necessarily means your salvation testimony, although I believe that you should be willing to share that. I believe that you should be able to testify about anything that God's done for you. I believe that when you see someone who's hurting and going through a situation, you can say, hey, I've been in a situation much like this, or I've never been in a situation like this, but I've been through this, and this is what God has done for me, and I believe that God will do the same thing for you. Amen. And I believe that ultimately you should always be able to loop around to being saved. Amen. But how diligent are you to share your testimony? 
We talk about giving a word of testimony on Wednesday nights and bragging on what the Lord has done for us. We can share what He's done for us through salvation, what He's just done for us from the goodness of, his, of who He is. We see lastly that it says, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Now we see that, that Satan is, is coming against the church. We know that throughout the ages of the church there has been great martyrdom. Literal death. But I'm thankful that we live in a country to at least where right now we don't have to face literal death. Serving the Lord. It breaks my heart to know there are other places in the world right at the same moment that people will be dead for doing what we're doing tonight. But we see that there are times that the church has literally faced literal death, literal martyrdom. It says that they, they loved not their lives unto the death. Even though Satan was persecuting the church and attacking the church, these believers were not affected by it. They did not back down from what they believed. They, they kept the testimony of the truth even when they had to face death. And I'm sad to say that in the world, the way we watch our world change, there might be a day in our lifetime where we see that happening in America. I pray that's not true, but it could be the case. I don't believe that's easy, and I don't believe that any of us could really ponder what that would mean. But do, do, do we believe what this Bible says? Do we believe what we believe enough that if we were faced with martyrdom that we would still stand for what we believe? I'm not telling you that we wouldn't be scared, that, we, that it wouldn't be a hard thing to do, but would, we, would this be real enough to us to consider standing in it even when we face that? But I want to ask you this question. I believe it applies a little better to us because we're not facing literal martyrdom. Number three, we need to be ready to give up our life. And I do not mean physically, although I believe we should if the time comes, but I don't believe that we're facing that right now. But how, how diligent are we to give up our life as far as what God wants for it? Are we willing to give up our life to lay it in God's hand and say, Here's my life. You can have it. I give it over to you. Everything that you want in my life, take it. I don't want to make my own decisions anymore. I don't want to try to make my life what I think it ought to be. I give it up to you. You can have it. Uh, we see so many times that the Hollywood and, and social media and these things, they try to tell us what our life should look like. They try to tell us what a successful life looks like. They have all the answers, and so many times we sit there and we read and we listen to them and we take their advice, and none of them are saved. None of them read this Bible. This is, this is what we need to be following. This is what tells us what a successful life looks like. None of them pick it up. None of them read it, but for some reason we believe they have all the answers. I believe that we need to come to a part of our life where we say, God, I, I don't care if I have a million bucks. I don't care what kind of house I live in. I don't care what kind of car I drive. I don't want to make my decisions based off attaining those things. I want you to take them and you to lead my life to what a truly successful life would look like as a Christian. It says we need to give Him our life. And I believe that Satan wants to keep you from everything that would help you get any closer to God. He wants to keep you from, from giving your, your life over to God. And I don't believe that He comes to you and tells you that specifically. I believe that He comes to you and it looks a little something like this. You know, all those guys you watch on TV, they look a lot better than you do. Maybe you need to spend some time in the gym instead of reading your Bible so much and, and praying and leading your family. You know, the, your neighbor has a nicer car than you. Maybe you should put in some more hours at work so you can have a nicer car. Maybe you should pit, spit, quit spending so much time investing into your children and your family and pick up a hobby and do something for yourself. 
And Satan loves to put anything in our lives that would distract us from what God has for us. How diligent are we to get to a place where we say we don't want to make our own decisions? But we want you to make them. We give it up to you. We give our life up to you. You can have it. We're ready to lose it. You can have it. And I believe that, that you either give your life to God or you give to Satan. There is no in-between. I believe the second that you say no to God, you'll automatically say yes to Satan. We know that God has plans for your life and He has a will for your life and He wants to lead you and He, has, he wants to do things that you never see anywhere else. But Satan also has a plan for your life too. And I believe that, that even if he doesn't achieve your, his plan for your life, as soon as you say no to God, that's good enough for him. As long as you're not doing what God has for you, as long as your life is not what God wants, he's completely fine with that. It says they love not their lives unto the death. I believe these are three important things that we can take with us on overcoming the devil. I believe there's so much more that we could preach if given the time. Uh, there's always so much that could be preached, but I believe that this is what the Lord has laid on my heart. Number one, have you received the blood of the Lamb? Have you realized that Jesus Christ, and I, I believe that too many times we don't allow this to have the weight on our hearts that it should. Jesus Christ loved you and I so very much that He died. He knew before the foundation of the world that you and I would face this war. He knew that you and I would be faced with a hell. And He loved you and I so much that even though He was sinless and blameless and had, had nothing, He wasn't going to hurt Him at all. He loved you so very much and I so very much that He allowed them to do all those things that we talked about earlier so you and I could be saved. So you and I could overcome the devil. Are you washed in the blood? Have you received the blood of the Lamb? Do you have a testimony that remains? And are you, are you ready to give up your life for what the Lord has for your plans? I'll ask you this evening, we, we talked about in verse number 7, how serious are we to fight this war? And I believe that we should be more diligent than we have. But I'll ask you this in closing one more time. Have you received the blood of the Lamb? Have you been saved? If not, I beg you to do so. Do you have a testimony that remains? Does your life show Jesus Christ? Does He lead others? Does it lead others to Christ? I think that we should be very mindful that our testimony is something that is very hard to build up and something that is very easy to break down. And once our testimony is broken, it's nearly, it's nearly impossible, if not impossible, to build it back. We only get one life. On this, I know that we have eternal life, but here in this world, we only get one life. And are you going to allow God to do what He wants with it, and to be able to use you, and to see things that you never see anywhere else? Or are you going to keep your life and do what you want with it? I believe these are three key things that we could apply to our life to overcome the devil. How well will you implement them? Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. <laughs>